we shouldn't take for granted the term, the phrase, I am a Christian. If you are a Christian, you're different now than you used to be. You're entirely transformed. You have been uh, made really, really somebody because you have become somebodies. You have been bought with a price. The Lord Jesus has laid claim on you. He has purchased you with an inexpressible price. And as many times as we speak about it, it's still overwhelming to us that it would be this Most High God who would send His only begotten Son to suffer and to die in our place, thank God, to rise up from the last enemy death and to take up his abode in the lives of those who invite him to do so. So if that has happened to you, you could tell stories uh, that we would be excited to hear if time allowed. You could tell us of the before and of the after, what your life was like prior to knowing this Savior and the course it has taken now. You have been transformed. Your life, if you're a Christian, uh, has been influenced greatly by his life. It affects everything about you. And because you know he knows you by name and personally, and as his son and daughter, something in you, this is new, has motivated you to know him more. He's mindful of you, and you have become one who, well, maybe uh, before you were distracted by the things of this world, but now because you know he's mindful of you, you really, really, really have become one who is mindful of him. You want to know what he thinks and what he values and what he's like and what he wants for you. And you know because he has sought you first, you're sort of returning the favor. He has drawn near to you and you're drawing near to him. And Everything about you, if you're really a Christian, has been changed. It isn't so much you're doing. Oh, no, what's been done is an evidence of his work in you. You know this, and nobody could talk you out of it. You don't have answers to every theological question someone may pose, and it doesn't bother you. You know that the Lord Jesus is your Savior. You know he came to be the Savior of anyone who agrees to his terms, uh, but, 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 but you know for sure he's personally yours. And from the time he laid hold of you, and by faith you laid hold of him, your life has become a life on the altar. Uh, you know he laid his life down for you, and now you want to offer your life as an offering of praise and thanksgiving and worship. And, well, that's what we want to talk about tonight, life. On the altar. We're in the book of Numbers, whether you like it or not, and have been for some time. You know the term is really in the wilderness. It's a tough journey. It was for Israel, and by application, it is for us. On our way to our assured final destination, 
And in the process, we are to live as redeemed people as they were invited to do. And now that the Lord Jesus has laid hold of you, you know his call upon your life is for you to live life on the altar, an altar of praise and of thanksgiving. So the text before us tonight is very lengthy, but don't get nervous. It's two whole chapters. It's Numbers chapter 28 and 29. And let me confess to you, when I looked at it, I thought, oh no, what are we going to talk about? Because it's a lot of stuff in there, a little hard for us in this day to relate to. So I prayed, oh God, this is your word. It's got to apply today. And I found many things that were personally helpful, and it's my privilege, and I take it as a privilege to pass those things on to you, and let's hope they're helpful to you as well. Here's what chapter 28 and 29 are about, offerings and sacrifices, laws pertaining to the giving of goods and gifts and tribute to Almighty God, praise offerings and thanksgiving offerings and sin offerings and atonement offerings and all the rest very tightly regulated. And if you were to glance through Numbers chapter 28, 29, you would say, wait, I've heard this before. And you would be correct. Because God, uh, prior to this time, through Moses, had given uh, all kinds of mandates and directives about offerings and sacrifices. And so you come upon it again and you might say, Lord, why, 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 why is this here again? Well, now listen. Do you remember that at this point in the book of Numbers, just about everyone whom God redeemed from the land of Egypt had passed away? They died in the wilderness, you see. And so now those whom Moses is relating to and leading, they're an entirely new generation. And it's so very, very important that one generation of believers pass on the faith to the next generation of believers. And so that's exactly what's happening here. God sees fit at this point in Israel's wilderness wanderings to pause, to stop. They're on their way to the land of promise. They're not there yet. They're going to be resisted. There's war ahead, but they must not be so distracted by war and obstacles and those who resist that they forget to pay tribute. To Almighty God who redeemed them. So that's what chapter 28 and 29 are about. Specifically, they are about offerings during every time in the normal calendar year. So we will read about, and don't worry, I'll summarize things because we'll, we'll be out of here by two today. Is it okay? Two o'clock. So we're going to read about daily offerings, and then we're going to read about weekly offerings. What would be the next calendar period of time? monthly offerings, and then we're going to read about special offerings. That's what these two chapters are about. So, for instance, take a look. Chapter 28, verses 1 through 8 are about daily offerings. It begins like this. The Lord said to Moses, Give this command to the Israelites, say to them, Make sure that you present to me at the appointed time my food offerings as an aroma pleasing to me. Can you see the word my 
as in my food offerings, right at the outset, we're seeing stress placed upon the reality that God has ownership of the gift and the giver. These are his, aren't they? This is my food offering. So, so the life of the offering, animals were offered oftentimes in sacrifice. The life of the offering, as well as the life of the offeror, were gifts from God. Therefore, the giving of the life of the living offering was out of gratitude for the giving of life to the one who offered and so this is how this whole list of things begins. And it says in verse 3, say to them, this is the food offering you are to present to the Lord. Two lambs, a year old without defect, as a regular burnt offering each day. Offer one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight. That's how the day is bounded, morning and evening. The day is to be bounded by offerings of praise and thanksgiving to God. This is how the people of God are to begin their day and end it. The day is to be enveloped by life lived on the altar. Redeemed ones possessed and purchased by God are to so order their daily affairs that at the beginning and end of the day and throughout the day we are mindful to acknowledge Almighty God who has redeemed us. He is to be honored at the outset of the day. He is to be honored at its close. Can you see the phrase, a regular burnt offering each day? Uh, the word regular is repeated in these two chapters over 15 times, and that's just a good thing to keep in mind. Whenever something, as you read in Scripture, is repeated, it's important. The word regular is repeated 15 times, it's important. It's a reminder that the regularity, the routine of one's daily experience is very important to God. Do you know what some people do? <clears throat> they only think about God during certain special occasions, for instance, like Christmas coming up. Thank God we expect our church building to be filled and we welcome it. We expect probably thereafter for the numbers to go down. It'll pick up at the next big occasion, Easter. That's how it is. When I grew up as a Jewish guy, it was the high holy days. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah. Everyone comes out of the woodwork and goes to the synagogue, and then you never see them again. That's the same thing. With Gentile people, I noticed. They're here on Easter and they're here on Christmas. See you next year. Now, that's not a bad thing in the case of some who you may not want to see more than once a year. You know, but, 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 but as you look to the routine of these offerings daily, it's as if God is saying, oh, no. I'm the giver of life daily lived I'm the giver of every daily breath you take. I'm the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps while you do. Everything about your day is subject to my beneficence and providential care. Please don't forget me. Don't just remember me on Christmas. 
please do, but not just Christmas. Wake up and start the day. Begin it with the one who's the author of life. If you're a Christian, begin it in acknowledgement of the one who is not only author of life, but author of salvation. Not just Christmas, not just Easter. And then it says in verse 5, uh, and here specifically uh, we see an enumeration of the offerings, together with a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hin of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. Offer the second lamb at twilight along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you offer in the morning. This is a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Folks, this is the word of God. It's in there, so we read it. Listen, if we were to total the required annual offerings of the nation of Israel, it would be 113 bulls, 32 rams, 1,086 lambs, over a ton of flour, and about 1,000 containers of oil and wine. And all this is in addition to those individual offerings rendered by individual members of the faith community and their Leaders, do you know what's significant about this? If God required that they offer all this back to him as a thanksgiving and praise offering, it presumes he'll supply it. They're in the desert. They don't have a lick of this stuff. You know what God is saying? You're going into the land of promise. There'll be plenty of resistance there. Just remember me. I'm your supply. I'm your provider. I will prosper you sufficiently so that you have the joy of giving back to me a portion of that with which I have blessed you. And then you read further about the... By the way, um, most of these offerings are um, praise and thanksgiving offerings. There's another category called sin offerings. If you do the math, the praise and thanksgiving offerings outnumber the sin offerings by 40 to 1. Your sin, because the offering of the Lamb of God has been forgiven, thank him and praise him. And thanksgiving and praise offerings ought to predominate now that the sin offering has been rendered. In this text, by 40 to 1 ratio, praise and thanksgiving offerings uh, exceed sin offerings. Okay, so those are daily offerings. Now you have weekly offerings in verses 9 to 10. You have monthly offerings in verses 11 to 15. Look at verse 11. On the first of every month... Present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. See what it says on the first of every month? Probably these monthly lunar festivals were nature celebrations. All of Israel's pagan neighbors took 
time during the first of the month in accordance with the position of the moon to worship elements in nature in an idolatrous way as if they were God. And God here is saying to Israel, do not do that. And so God is regulating for his people what they are to do during these times when worldly people are doing something else. Notice, God does not say, ignore it altogether. He says, take advantage of this time when the people around you are worshiping falsely to worship sincerely and in truth. I think there's a good application for Christmas. Did you know that the roots of Christmas and even Easter are pagan? I said it so matter-of-factly. But it's actually true. Oh, but I didn't say the event of the Lord's birth or resurrection. I'm talking about customs and practices surrounding the days. So some people, Christians, well-intentioned, even believe, therefore, we should pay no mind to these holidays. And so there are certain groups, faith groups, even churches, who on Christmas time, you see us getting ready for our celebration of the Lord's birth. They'll have no such thing. But I think a better approach, while the world perhaps is bowing at the feet of Santa, all the more reason for us to bow at the feet of the incarnate Savior who was and yet came to be amongst us, Emmanuel. So, you see, I get that application from a text like this. God is not saying forget about the monthly lunar thing just because pagans worship it idolatrously. No, all the more reason, take it captive to the obedience of Christ. Use it for my uh, glory. And so it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, and beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven and be drawn away and worship them and serve them, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. See, so during this monthly time, everyone was worshiping moon and stars and all the rest. And God said, don't do that. I provided those things for everyone. But those are the things I provided, therefore worship me. And then you have special offerings. You have Passover offerings listed in verses 16 to 25. Pentecost or festival of weeks offerings in verses 26 to 31. You have New Year's Day offerings, chapter 29, 1 to 6. Day of Atonement offerings. Verses 7 to 11, tabernacle offerings, chapter 29, verses 12, all the way to 40. Folks, I commend this text for your reading. Just read through it. It's fairly painstaking to do. And derive from it the emphasis God puts on his people rendering to him thanks and praise offerings all through the key events of life, not just on its special occasions. Now, if this is that important, it leads us to a question. Do you know the people who were the original recipients of these mandates, the Jewish people, don't do this anymore? Why not? Well, because they can't, as ordained. Because in A.D. 70, the 10th Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, burnt it to the ground. And so the place of sacrifice, the altar of sacrifice, uh, uh, was rendered unavailable. The Jews were pushed out uh, of Jerusalem in what's called the dispersion, down to this 
very day, that is to say until 1948. And so this begs the question, the Jews don't even do it this way, and we surely don't do it. I mean, it's in the Bible, but I got to be honest with you, I haven't offered an unblemished lamb and sacrifice in my backyard in like a long time. I mean, the neighbors will talk. I mean, we don't, we don't do it. I don't even know what a hen is. I mean, we were reading. So, so, so it, it, it sort of leads to this, to this question. What then is the means of sacrifice, offering made available to us today? One time there was a man named Yochanan, John, the one who baptized. And he saw the form of another, Yeshua, Jesus. And he said, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sacrifice and offering is still required, but sacrifice and offering in the most ultimate sense has been provided and satisfied. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. I don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. I don't have to do anything like that. I have to run to the foot of the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. I don't need an endless succession of bulls and lambs and goats and all the rest because what Jesus did was so totally complete and efficacious, meaning it worked, that he could say, it is finished. He could say, it is done. He could say, your debt paid in full. So that's what we look to. He's who we look to today. Now, I want to call your attention to something that's going to require your patience. It's one word oft repeated in these two chapters. It's the word aroma. Aroma. It's interesting. As I was studying this, I noticed, oh, my goodness, that word occurs a ton of times. Here's where your patience comes in. I want to read every verse that contains the word aroma, but I'll only read the part in which the word is found. It won't take long. Look, verse uh, 2 of chapter 28. You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire. Here it is. Of a soothing aroma to me. Verse 6. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai. Here it is again. As a soothing aroma. Verse 8. You shall offer it, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Verse 13. For a burnt offering of a soothing aroma. Verse 24. A soothing aroma to the Lord. Verse 27. You shall offer a burnt offering for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Uh, chapter 29, verse 2, you shall offer, same verse again, you shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Verse 6, for a soothing aroma. Verse 8, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a soothing aroma. Verse 13, you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And the final occurrence, verse 36 of chapter 29, but you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, without defect. I ask you, where is this soothing, where is this fragrant aroma today? 
In that day, it was from the sacrifice of bulls and rams and lambs. Oh, and it had to be without defect. By soothing, it meant, you know what it meant? Um, when they were consumed by fire and, uh, you, you know, heat, uh, warm air rises, it ascended to the nostrils of Almighty God, figuratively speaking. And when he inhaled it, his righteous anger due to human sin was appeased. Holy God was soothed. It was a fragrant, meaning acceptable, pleasing aroma that humankind would see the need for sin sacrifice. That humankind would say, oh God, please make a provision for my sin, for I owe you a debt I cannot pay. And when God said, I have offered to me the blood of bulls and rams and lambs, and when they did in obedience to God, when they did things his way, it ascended to him as a soothing aroma. Well, that's what it was then. Uh, God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. By what means will his righteous anger with regard to you and me be appeased today? What will please him? What offering will soothe him? What will turn him from his understandable wrath directed towards human sin? I read you this marvelous New Covenant passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, listen to this, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a Fragrant aroma. Though it's laborious to read through Numbers chapter 28 and 29, God wants us to see what was required to soothe his righteous indignation then. And a very, very, very costly price is required down to this very day. The soothing aroma then was the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. It's simply a foreshadowing of the soothing aroma of the sacrifice of the unblemished, perfect, sinless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. When he took to the cross to be crucified in our place, and when we by faith laid hold on him, it ascended to God as a soothing and fragrant aroma because we did not make light of his provision for our sin. We did not despise his son we did not disrespect, ignore, or minimize him. We laid hold on him who has first laid hold on us. And when God saw the connection, uh, he was appeased. His righteous anger was appeased. The Lord Jesus did for us, don't you see, what we could not do for ourselves. We cannot atone for our own sin. We cannot pay the price that we owe God. We cannot satisfy the debt uh, that we have incurred due to our sin. But the Lord Jesus did it for us. As a result, and this is what happens when you're reborn. If this is happening in your life, you know you've been reborn. If it's not, 
please talk to us before we take leave of one another tonight. Because of our awareness as Christians, what he did for us, therefore we, in light of what he offered for us, want to offer ourselves, our very lives, as a praise and thanksgiving offering for him. We're different than we ever have been. We put our lives on the altar of praise and thanksgiving because he put his life on an old rugged cross. We no longer need offer animals to die on an altar. No, we offer ourselves alive unto God on an altar of praise and sacrifice and dedication and holiness and worship. We offer to him a bloodless offering because he offered to us an intensely bloody offering. You see what happens? And so we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, listen, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is your spiritual service of worship. Christmas time, lots of thoughts. You know how it is. We struggle with the busyness, hectic nature of it all the time. Easy to get distracted in the exchange of gifts. I personally think that's a good thing. We want to show our love to friends and family, and we're so grateful that God has enabled us many of us, the wherewithal, to give things. They're just tokens of our love and so on. I, these are all good things. But folks, resist the temptation <laughs> to subsume the essence, not just of Christmas, but of the Christmas event. Resist the temptation to subsume it under all of the busyness of the season. <clears throat> folks, we are called to put our lives on the altar of sacrifice. Jesus, who resided from eternity past with his Father, came in flesh. Uh, we saw a very effective, thank you, Roy, uh, video of what our missionaries do. I must confess to you, uh, I would really have to be moved and called by God to go to those places. Not proud of it. But I would have to because of the cost, the sacrifice, out of the comfort zone. And I think Roy and others, he left his father's home above. So free, so infinite, his grace. That's what we sing, isn't it? Look at how far he came, extending himself downward in order to raise me up by his, by his grace. So folks, during this season... Could I invite you, um, as I'm also heeding my own invitation, if you've come off of the altar of the sacrifice and of praise and worship, a praiseworthy Christian life, a life filled with thanksgiving to God, get back on the altar. We're called to live, not die, live lives on the altar. The sacrificial offer of praise and thanksgiving. Um, is there something? 
is there something you're not taking to the altar with you? Is there something between you and God? It's not the sin problem, perhaps, because you know he paid the debt for your sin. It's something else maybe you're clinging to. It could be a sin area. We're subject to it. You know, what are you going to do? That's what we're made of. Is there something? Could I invite you? We'll just take a brief moment right where you are. Make that place an altar in which you say, Oh, God, just as the animals of old were brought to the altar involuntarily, I come voluntarily, just as they were consumed by the fire and died. Oh, God, I want to be consumed by the inexpressible graciousness of your gift. I want my life to be so consumed by the reality of your life, death, and resurrection that all my thoughts, my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations, my so-called rights, <laughs> my decisions, the use of my time, that all of it is enveloped, enveloped, oh God, by an awareness of your presence in my life. Let's give Jesus this season the only gift he doesn't have, perhaps, the totality of our being. Because it will not be forced upon us nor compelled, only invited. I just want to give you an opportunity to beat the mad rush of gift purchases and giving and say, perhaps right where you sit, oh God, I want to renew my commitment to you. Please be pleased with this gift. I'm giving to you something I'm giving up which gave me pleasure outside of your will. I'm going to, with your help, give that up. For my gift to you is the totality of your being, of my being. Lord, I want to be consumed upon an altar of living sacrifice by your presence so that my life is a praiseworthy life. Could I invite you to just take a moment by bowing your heads and closing your eyes again, just to be undistracted from those around you. I'll be quiet here in just a, a second, and then I'll close in prayer. Nothing dramatic, just simple surrender to the one who surrendered all aspects of his heavenly privileges in order to come and rescue us. Is there something? You haven't brought onto the altar, and it is really holding you back. You're betwixt and between, one foot in the world, <laughs> one foot on an altar of worship. Don't do that to yourself. You are loved by God, but you are torn in two. Give Jesus, even now, by act of your will, the totality of your being, a living and holy sacrifice. Put your life on that altar. Take a few moments with him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the marvelous conversations so wonderfully private that have just transpired between folks here and you enabled 
by you, the mediator between us and you. Oh God, we pray that if there be one here whose connection to you is shaky, we pray that that one would trust us and have conversation with us later on. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. Thank you for captivating our hearts and our minds. Thank you for so delighting in us that you invite us to make a total commitment. You're not repulsed by us. You want us to be fully and totally surrendered to you. What a great privilege and honor that is. With your help, we desire to do so. We desire to live lives on the altar. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.